this is week number four, our concluding week in what we termed an end times update. We can only scratch the surface. I think you all understand that. The, the, the whole eschatology stuff is so deep and so wide. It covers religion and politics, finance, history, what's happening today. It's all pervasive. So I would encourage you in your own time to do a lot of study. I did study a little bit of this in Bible college. I did church history in Bible college. But what I studied in Bible college is nothing in comparison to what I studied myself at home, alone. <laughs> um, I immeasurably more study home study and research because that's what it took to get any grip on what is a complex subject. So I encourage you, do take as much time as you feel you need, pursue the subject, especially since you have been trusted as we have to live at this time. What a shocking thought. What a shocking thought. Just stop a moment. Just stop a moment. Just consider this. You're alive at this moment chosen. The Bible says God determines the times and the places where we live. And he chose this incredible time for me. May God help me to embrace that responsibility, to educate myself as wide and as far as I can as to how I can fulfill my calling, particularly as an end times believer. So this is the conclusion of this little mini update, but by no way, shape or means the conclusion of your study. I encourage you to go on in every way you can and feel free to contact me on anything um, concerning this issue and any other issue. So we've had four, this is our fourth week. The first week was looking at an overview of church history. This is a great foundation. It gives me confidence when I see that God has fulfilled his promises. He's the God who was, the God who is, and he's the God who is coming. God who was, the God who is, and he's the God who is to come. And he's kept all these promises and he will keep this final promise. That was our first week. The gospel of the kingdom going around and establishing itself all over the world, giving people that chance of salvation. The second week we looked at the Antichrist and the rapture of the church. Another very surprising scripture from Jesus himself when he does that incredibly unusual thing and he says, I'm telling every Christian, every believer, I expect you to understand Daniel 12. Unusual, isn't it? It's the only prophecy that Jesus highlights. Let the reader understand the prophecies in Daniel 12 about the abomination in the holy place and the Antichrist and his coming. So that's why we studied that. And we looked at the rapture as well. Those two teachings, the Antichrist and the rapture, often come together in the Bible. Because one is a little bit scary and the other one gives us hope of our resurrection in Christ. Last week, the third week, we looked at the great apostasy. Something which, in my opinion, is well and truly underway. Uh, the, and has been for quite some time. Probably a couple of decades. We've seen a huge shift in, <coughs> in churches and leaders around the world, people's mentality changing. In fact, very good people, excellent people, suddenly, bang, they've changed, changed so much. And I'm not going to mention any names, but I could, <laughs> I could. Some shocking leaders who have been so successful, 
Pentecostal, born again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, and then suddenly, suddenly they come out with a shock announcement that they've completely changed their beliefs. And there's many of them. That's called the great apostasy. It's called the great apostasy. When some of our key people, particularly leaders, start to drift away and preach another gospel. Dangerous days. So here we are in this last week. I've called it End Times Essentials or a roundup uh, on this topic. The pe people often ask, how near do you think we are? How close do you think it is? And if the Antichrist were to arise or begin to arise, how fast could the end come? How quick? This is the kind of question the disciples asked Jesus. I was going to Singapore and I saw a documentary in the little movies, you know, a documentary by Leonardo DiCaprio, the, the actor. And he has a private passion for ecology. He likes saving the planet, saving trees and all this sort of stuff. And I watched the documentary. It was very well made, very, very interesting. He was in uh, Antarctica and he was studying the melting of the ice caps. So I thought, I'll watch this. And I did. And I'm glad I did. And then I watched some spin-offs of that documentary. And I can't remember which documentary it was, but it was in his series. And someone said to one of the current experts about the ice caps, so the ice caps will melt. And the expert said, <clears throat> wrong term, wrong term, the iceberg, the ice caps will melt. A better term would be to say the ice caps will collapse. And he explained, like in a, in a big massive snowfall, when you see three foot of snow on the roof of a house, it doesn't melt as such. What happens is the underbelly of this big lump of snow, it gets weakened and weakened and weakened and then whoosh, right? And the whole snow from the roof falls down on the ground and people, you know, put it on Facebook. Look what happened in my house, right? This is the same thing he was explaining that is happening with the ice caps in the world. They are every day getting weakened. And at some point that we don't know, there will be a sudden collapse. And then the, the, the impact of that globally can be very, very, very devastating because much of the money around the world is in coastlines. London, on the River Thames, New York, uh, uh, Los Angeles. Many of the best cities are built near water. That's just a fact because of trade. So you flood those cities. And you end up with a, a world in chaos. I always remember that little insight from an expert. We should be getting ready for a collapse, but of course people never do. Uh, so we've, we've been looking largely at Matthew chapter 24, and I think it's, it remains a very, very good place for us to, to study. It's, the, it's probably the, the, the center of biblical prophecy concerning end times. Um, the disciples were walking with Jesus and they turn to him and they say, please tell us. <clears throat> and they ask him for two things. What will be the signs and what time will it be when you return? We want to know the signs and the times. And in Matthew 24, Jesus very graciously answers their question. But he doesn't only answer their question. 
he answers some questions that they didn't ask. Isn't it funny what people ask and what they should ask? They asked, tell us about the signs, tell us about the times, tell us about what's going to happen. And he did answer, but what they didn't ask is, how do I protect myself? Because he begins by saying his very first statement to them, take heed of yourself. Now they didn't ask about themselves. They were thinking about the lost and about this and about that. But Jesus goes straight in. Oh, you think you're so fine, is it? You're so confident that this is not going to affect you. Be careful now, won't you? So his very opening statement, take heed to yourself. Now I'm going to repeat a testimony because this, this teaching will go to many different people around the world in different countries and many of them will have not heard this testimony and it's important so please bear with me. I know some of you have heard this before but for me it's a very significant moment in my life um, speaking and working as a prophet for many years. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I see a vision of a man I trust, a man I know, a man I admire. Uh, in London, a senior leader, and I know I'm called to pray for him. I get up, I walk around my house, and I pray for this man. I feel finished, I feel delivered from my responsibility, I go back to sleep, and that's it. The next day, about midday, I get a bing-bing text message on my phone from Assemblies of God about this man. Amazing, I was shocked. <laughs> and in the text message, it said, this individual has just come out in favor of same-sex marriage and in favor of all these different things that he's all over his lifetime as an evangelical had always stood against on principle biblical principles and so i got very very excited i but my i had a question so i went on my own alone and i sought the lord why did you t show me the vision why was i praying i mean i'm going to get the text message anyway why is this so important that you showed me him in the night? And I got my answer. And it was not the answer I expected. Watch yourself. To me. <laughs> you watch yourself. In case you become like him. I think, me? Are you kidding me? Of course, I, I see myself as being, a, a, in some ways, a hardliner, a fundamentalist. I have not shifted one millimeter, Lord. I've not shifted one millimeter on anything to do with Scripture. Never. It doesn't, I don't care about the penalties. That's never been my interest. So I, all the arguments start kicking off in my head initially. But then the Word does its work. How foolish would I be to think that I'm insulated? against the apostasy. That man was a very good man, loved Jesus, but he became susceptible to twisted doctrine. And this is the power of the last days, the power of false teachers, the power of false prophecies and deception. It's a powerful thing. You make a few wrong moves and suddenly you're coming under a bad spirit. So I realized with that blessed word, and I thank you, Jesus, for warning me about me. And as we study this end times and we come to our conclusion, we've looked at other people. We've looked at the nations. What about you, huh? What about you? How strong are you? How aware are you of your own 
weaknesses, in terms of church practice, in terms of the millions that will fall away in the great apostasy. Are you ready? <laughs> so they, like you, asked many questions, but Jesus answered another one, making them aware of a weakness within themselves. Take care of yourselves. Take heed to yourselves that no one deceive you. That was verse 4 of Matthew. In verse 6, he adds in another thing that they didn't ask. <clears throat> he says he doesn't want them <coughs> to, excuse me, to be afraid or to be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. See to it. You see to it. Take responsibility not to be alarmed. I never teach end times to make anybody alarmed because I'm not alarmed myself. I'm not. I'm not alarmed. I'm not afraid at all. I teach it purely from a biblical responsibility perspective. But no, it doesn't scare me. It never did scare me. It doesn't scare me. It's, 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 it, it's there. It's information and it's prophetic insight to what's going on. It's as simple as that. I was in the dentist two days ago. And this woman came in. We were both sitting in the waiting room. She was sitting opposite me, a Muslim woman. And she was physically shaking. She was so full of anxiety. And I thought she was frightened because she was going to the dentist, you see. <laughs> so I said to her, I hate dentists as well. Don't worry about it. And she looked at me and she said, no, no, it's not the dentist. And she pointed at the hand sanitizer on the desk, the reception desk. And the receptionist overheard her. And the woman said, I'm sorry, I'm just so frightened. I don't like the sanitizer. Everything's, you know, caging in on me. I'm frightened of what's happening in the world. And the way she said it, she was so frightened of everything to do with this virus. Do not be afraid. See to it that you're not afraid. And as we mentioned last week, that woman was so uncertain. And everybody's telling me that these are uncertain times. Well, I tell you what, they may be uncertain times for the world. But if you've got a Bible, these are very, very certain times. Very certain times. I am very certain about certain things. <laughs> Israel is in their homeland. Of that I am certain. That is a certain sign that the end times have certainly begun. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. When you see this, this is a certain sign. So they can be as confused as they want, but no, I'm not confused at all. So therefore, I'm not alarmed. Then another thing he interjected in answer to their question in verse 12 of Matthew 24. He said, stand firm. And they probably didn't think they needed to hear that. But stand firm because a testing of your faith is going to come. Stand firm. This is partly the great apostasy, but also many other things. And then another thing, the last thing he interjected in verse 14. Be prepared, Matthew 24, verse 14, to preach the gospel around the world in these last days. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. <coughs> Excuse me. So tonight, tonight's message is a very, very important message to me. It's very important. In end times, concerning end times, this for me is the most important study of all the studies. It's critical for me. It's end times essentials. Give me the stuff I must know. There's much to know. But give me the critical piece of information. That's what I want to know. And at a certain time in my life, many years ago, I sought the Lord on this message. 
And I've changed it, not much. I've added to it. I've never taken anything away. But I've added to it. And as I studied scripture, I found about 16 critical truths concerning the last days that I think every Christian should know. So that's what we're going to look at today, tonight. The first point, if you're taking notes, but I can send you notes and you can get this recording later. The first point, do not dismiss me on this, please. Hear me out. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. This doctrine, people tend to dismiss it. They tend to dismiss it very, very quickly. Uh, but I would strongly advise you not to dismiss it. Very learned men have written books this thick about this topic, right? This thick. <laughs> volume 1, Volume 2, just on how does a man get saved. A very good man who, who came to Jesus one night called Nicodemus, and Jesus commended him. A very learned man. He was so learned that he said to Jesus, how do you get saved? How can I be saved? It's a very wise question. And the first thing I'll say to each one of you, and I'm talking to you tonight, talking to you as individuals, so I, I, I really ask you, listen to me. This is personal. This is totally personal. This is you and God. I, I had eight sisters and brothers, nine in our family. And I was not good at school at all. So when I came home and I didn't even understand my homework, it was very easy for me to take my homework and I would go to my sister Mary and I would say, fill out the answers. Do it for me. Fill it out for me. And she would say, no, it's not a problem if she, she then knows. I go to Anne. Anne, you do it. Anne says, no, no problem. I've got Gerald, Martin, John, Patricia, Pauline. I've got loads of them. Someone always said yes. Hallelujah. No, it's not good. <laughs> That's why I was bad at school. You, yeah. There's certain things you can't palm off on someone else, you know. I was always able to ditch my homework and someone would do it for me. But salvation is personal. You know, when the ten virgins, when the five virgins realized that they weren't saved, that they couldn't get into heaven, that they'd gone wrong, the first thing they said, they turned to their sisters, give me oil! Do my homework for me. Do it for me. And the five virgins say, that's not possible. This is personal. Your oil is personal. This is, oh, you must have your own. We can't share this. We can't give you our oil. Very important point, you know. Take stock of yourself. The more religious and institutional our, Christ, our, our churches are, the more easy it is for us to hide behind our fellowship and behind our dynamic worship and behind our spirit-filled friends. I, I was in Singapore a couple of years ago and I got a text message on, on like a Saturday night saying, you're, you're, you're preaching tomorrow morning and I didn't have a lot of time. I said, okay, no problem. And I thank God for visions. I just went home, <coughs> sat down, said, God, what shall I share? And very quickly I saw a vision. And that was, I just hung my whole message on that one little vision that I got. The vision was this. There's this person. And there's a little campfire. Beautiful campfire giving out heat. And the person, I can see the person's in darkness and they're cold. And they walk up to the campfire. And suddenly they're in the light. Ah, 
lovely heat at the campfire. <sighs> really nice. And then they walk away and they get darker and darker and darker back into the darkness. And God was saying to me, this is the church. Great worship on Sunday, that's the campfire. But they live in darkness. And they come on a weekly basis and they gather around for someone else's heat. Someone else's oil. Someone else's fire. And there's a deception. It really is a deception in that. Be very careful. You need your own oil. You need your own fire. The day will come when you will not be able to get anything from that. Judgment day will be alone. Judgment day is single file. It's one at a time. I can't call in for outside help. Matthew chapter 22 verse 11, the, the, the parable of the wedding feast. Here we are again. Everything's to do with this bride and groom. The parable of the wedding feast where the groom comes in, the king comes back and he sees someone in the crowd who, who doesn't have wedding clothes on. And this is an individual, a religious individual, who's able to pass themselves off on a weekly basis in the crowd. Able to go to church and everybody high-fives them. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. And for years that's okay until the king comes. Aha! And the king sees right through it. Who's that? Oh, that's brother so-and-so. That, no, get them out. They don't belong in here. Amazing. Amazing. Because the church doesn't see it. We accept people on the outside, but that person was not saved on the inside. So be very careful. Again, when Jesus describes judgment, which I'm going to talk about a little bit on Sunday, the most consistent thing about Judgment Day and all that, it's surprise. <laughs> surprise! Everybody is surprised. The righteous are surprised. The wicked are surprised. Lord, when did we do this? Lord, when did we... Everyone is surprised on Judgment Day. Isn't that funny? Nobody got what they were expecting. All these platitudes of smooth preaching over the years had lulled them into a false sense of security instead of just reading the book and believing what you read. People follow what their itching ears long to hear. So I encourage you, make sure you're saved. <coughs> Repent, believe, be baptized, and receive. Very easy to remember. How do we get saved? Repent. But repentance alone has never saved anyone. Repentance never saved anyone. Repentance alone cannot save. But you need to repent to be saved. But repentance alone does not save. There are people out there who repent more than you. It's true. <laughs> you know, my gym instructor, Michael, some of you met him on camp. My fitness instructor. Michael is one of the most righteous guys I've ever met. He just doesn't do anything wrong. He, he likes everything correct in his life. And if I compare his life with some Christians, I tell you what, he, you know, Michael just naturally turns away from, from wrong things. Very clean, living person in every aspect of his life. But good living doesn't save you. 
It will make you self-righteous if you're not careful. If it's all you do. You must repent and believe. Now we're getting changed. Because I'm believing in the righteousness of another. Someone else's righteousness. Repentance can make me feel like it's my righteousness. But repenting and believing, now I'm getting changed. Because I'm believing in the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that gives me humility. And then be baptized. This was the conversation with Nicodemus. And receive the Holy Spirit. Endless warnings about this in Scripture, which I'll mention briefly later. So the first thing I would say to you, and please don't dismiss it, make sure that you are saved. And by that I mean repent and go on repenting. Believe and go on believing. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized and get yourself filled with the Holy Spirit and then maintain that infilling. <coughs> it will, <coughs> excuse me, it will re require ongoing fuel on that fire of God. The third big issue for me is to tell your family, and I'm making an appeal to you tonight, just take a moment, one moment now, to think about your family. When was the last time you shared the gospel with them? When was the last time? Very important, your family. Jesus went first to his own, and then he extended the gospel outward. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria is our enemies, and the uttermost parts of the world. You want me to teach on end times, and you've attended tonight for information and instruction and insight on end times. Well, let me tell you something. If somebody dies next week, that's the last days for them. It's the end of the world for them. The end of the world has come for Rick Seward. The end of the world has come for my parents. It's no longer a future thing. And the end of the world is coming for thousands of people every week in the United Kingdom at the moment who were not expecting it. So please tell your family. Go and tell them. Tell them again. And I would say to you, please understand, and if you need to reinvent your gospel or reinvent yourself, do it. Go out and do whatever God's putting on your heart to do and do it today. Realize the enormity of what's available to you. Preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other part, most parts of the world, Shobani. Go and do it in Cambodia. Go and do it. The world is your oyster. A few members contacted me after we mentioned this a few weeks ago about preaching in the whole world. But <laughs> if there's ever a day when you can preach to the whole world, it's today. It's today. You can do it today. You can go on Zoom. Every one of you can do that. Last night, Mary's was... And thank you, Sandra. I know we went on a very long time last night. <coughs> Mary's was reaching out to the Spanish-speaking community. No, <coughs> the restrictions in London mean that she can't do that physically, but we can do it online. And so can you. You can go to Jerusalem. You can go to Judea. You can go to Samaria. 
And I just wish that some of you could see. And I pray tonight, let's pray in a moment, that God shows you what you can do. You can do many, many things, many things in these last days. You can reach many people all over the world. Can you see that? Hello? Can you see that? You can do this. You can absolutely do this. Just take another couple of steps. Let me tell you a little insight here, a little secret. I've written many books and they pop up all over the place. But it is my complete belief that any of you could do the same thing. There's nothing special about that, you know. And let me explain. Sandra did, for example, uh, last year, Sandra did several series on Friday night on LAW, remember? So Sandra has written, for example, six messages like this. And if you've ever done a series, a short four-part Bible study or something like that, you've actually got four messages that you created, six messages that you created. So you've done the main part of the work that you need for a book. All you need is another little bit on the end. You just need to consolidate that. Then you need someone to help you edit it. Plenty of people can do that. People are longing to do that. I can introduce you to some of them. I've got a good friend in Nigeria, a lawyer, Peter Shobi. He's looking to help Christians to get their stuff together. A doctor who worked with me, she longed for me to give me, give me the stuff. I want to contribute to the world. I want to do something with my life. And I can do that and you can't. Give it to me. I'll do it for you. Or some of you write songs. Well, Instead of just writing the song for a Sunday, a special, for example, and just doing that one time, why not go a little bit extra? Just a little bit further. Do a little bit more work. And get the video right. Get the sound right. And suddenly, bang, you've got a CD. Suddenly you've got something that you can send out to the world. You can reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Every one of you can do it, if you could only see it. Trust me, you can do it. And you've, what you've done, you know what you've done? You've gone 80% of the way there and you've turned back. Like many pastors, I sit and talk to them. And they say, how do you do that? Well, you can do that. If you just did a little bit extra, you could do that. <coughs> Number three, critical point in these last days. Watch out for false teachers. False teachers, we looked at this several times. It comes up constantly in warnings about the last days. How do we watch for false teachers? Primarily by studying. So thank you for being here. By studying what the scripture says. By seeing what the, 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 the light the Bible can give us. And once we have that inside, we become sharp to what is false. Sharp to what the devil tries to dissuade us into. So keep up your study. But also, false teachers thrive when the righteous are quiet. False teachers thrive when no one is preaching the truth. So preach the truth. Speak it out. The things that you know, speak them out. These are the last days. The Son of God will come back. And this exposes the false teachers. I, I would say on false teachers, by the way, be very careful of Bible colleges. I, I have... 
had more bad experience with Bible colleges than good experience. <laughs> Most of them are liberal. Thank God there's some good ones out there. Victory Family Center is great. I've got some good friends in America, across America, some very good Bible colleges. Most of them are not quite yet online, but I'm sure they'll all move online because of the scenarios. But just be very careful of false teaching. How? Um, keep studying Scripture. Keep studying your master's voice. And as you do that, it, you just get in tune with what sounds right. This sounds right. You get to know his voice. You get to know his spirit. So keep studying scripture. Keep that voice active and very familiar to you. Fourth point. Scripture has a very, very uh, severe warning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, the parable of the laborers. And it's about don't be idle. Don't be idle in these last days. And the, the, the idle there doesn't mean you're not busy. You're all busy. I know you're busy. The whole world is busy. The idol that's being spoken about here is idol in relation to the kingdom of God. Idol in relation to end times things. And Jesus warns the end times church, that's you and me, do not be idle in terms of the things of the kingdom. And I don't know, you know, God help us. I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I'll read from verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. And again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did likewise. And at about the 11th hour, this tells me Jesus is walking through this planet. About the 11th hour, Jesus goes out again and he found people standing idle. Remember, they're busy, but they're idle in terms of the kingdom. He found people standing idle and he said to them, why are you standing here? And they said, because nobody hired us. We're not paid staff. We're not full-time pastors. The, the religious mindset that if I don't get a Bible college education, if I don't have a full-time position, the evangelism in the church needs to be done by the full-time evangelist. The, the pastoring needs to be done by the... How mistaken... How mistaken. <clears throat> I'm going to have to ask Sandra for forgiving me for, for not warning you in advance. I meant to mention it to you earlier, but it went out of my head. But I think I know you well enough, you won't be angry with me. If I get cut off, you'll know she's angry with me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I went to see Sandra a while back, and uh, we just sat in the house with her and Brandon. And I asked her to do something. Just, you know, would you do this? And I could visibly see the unbelief and the shock on her face. Now, this is about a year and a half ago. This is before lockdown. I could visibly see the unbelief and the shock on her face. So she was like looking around. You want me to do that? And as I looked at that shock, this is your 
how can I, and I think you said to me, I have no Bible education, I have no, who am I? And this is the answer that Jesus predicted that people would, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And the only qualification you need, girl, is to be born again. That's it. That's it. And this was a complete miscomprehension. You know, the, I'm not against Catholics. I'm not anti-Catholic at all. Many of my friends are Catholic. But the, the institution of the church with the professional priest class who can only do this, who can only do that, has led many people to be idle in the last days. The only, you know, um, Mark chapter, let me read you, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. <coughs> Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after his resurrection. Stubborn disbelief. Ho, oh, oh. ho. He said to them, go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Look at verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have a Bible college education. And these signs will accompany those who are ordained. And these signs will accompany those who are international superstars. And these signs will accompany all of those who believe. That's it. That's it. And in that short one moment conversation with Sandra, I almost rebuked her. I said, don't you ever think that you can't do this. You have today got everything you need. You need nothing else. Atanasio, you need nothing else. Sarah, you need nothing else. Edgar, you've got it all. It's all there. Rosanna, Shobani, Michael, Hagar, you've got everything you need. They were standing idle because of the perception of who can do ministry. Some super class that they had in their mind. Pull the flesh on that in your mind. Get that junk out of your system. You can go. You've been born again. You've been commissioned. What was our first week? Reinhard Bonnke's book, Evangelism by Fire. He said, I'm not waiting for anybody. John, White, John Wesley was sitting in Bible college. He ran out of the Bible college, got on his horse, and they told him to come back and finish his studies. And you know what he said? I haven't got time. Off he went in his heart and took the gospel around the world. What are you waiting on? You don't need to wait on anything. And so when Jesus says, don't be idle, <coughs> this for me is Jesus walking through the end times church. He's in your home. He's there calling you. And these mental objections because of culture and politics and religion they block us. Do you know Smith Wigglesworth, one of the most influential people of the last hundred years? He was a plumber. A plumber. Could do with him here to fix the toilets in the church. He was a plumber. <laughs> Fixing toilets. No education whatsoever. He didn't need it. <laughs> he didn't need it. God will make all that stuff up for you. You don't need that. Yeah, of course, we, I believe in education. I've been to Bible college. I'm a, an absolute geek for study. So don't hear what I'm not saying. 
But I'm saying to you, go and do it. And I, apolo I apologize, Sandra, but you are one of the most prolific, effective people in this church. And in this last time, your ministry has exploded all over the world because of what we're doing. No particular education, just understanding that I, you know what Jesus says, I will use any of you if you will just make yourselves available to me. I just can't find enough people. They've all got reasons. I can't because of this. I can't. We can all say that. We can all say that. Fifth point, critical for the last days. <coughs> Be spirit-filled. <coughs> when Nicodemus was asking Jesus about going to heaven, don't shout at me for this because some people hate me for saying this. They come up with all sorts of theological arguments. Your argument is not with me, okay? You're arguing with, with, with Jesus. Nicodemus said, how do you enter heaven? Jesus said, get yourself back. Because he already repented and believed. He got the first two, Nicodemus. But he hadn't got the second two. Um, so Jesus adds the second two part of salvation. How do I enter heaven? So Jesus says to him, you need to get, go and get baptized in water in re for repentance. And receive the Holy Spirit. And many people want a cutoff point there because they don't want to make the sacrifice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? You would need to be totally foolish not to seek full baptism in the Holy Spirit when, after Jesus' answer to Nicodemus. Seek baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this to you, having listened to so many Christians, and I receive a lot of critical, you know, me, a lot of messages from around the world criticizing me all the time, um, telling me I don't understand God, etc. There's a lot of people who, who, who only, how can I put this? I'm going to put, okay, listen to this. A day is going to come when it's too late. A day is going to come when it's too late. There's a limitation on the time for you to get saved. There's a, it's, not, it's not forever. The day will come when it's too late for a person who's not saved. Oh, it's never too late. It's never, that is absolutely wrong. That is wrong teaching. That is not what the Bible teaches. It will never be too late. It can be too late and it will be too late. We saw last week when Noah got in the ark, God shut the door. We read about the ten virgins when Jesus came and he took the church away. The scripture says, and the door was shut. It's too late. So you need to really emphasize to your friends, to your, do, to your family, do you realize that one day it will be too late for you? Today is the day of salvation. You need to take that seriously. Whilst I'm in this body I, and I'm still breathing, I have that chance, I have that moment. But as soon as I die, this is the division point. I'm called naked. It's called being naked. It doesn't mean you're naked. It means you haven't got a body. And to, to, for you to make that decision, you need to be in the body. But as soon as you leave the body, that's it. You're done. There's no more decisions. You've gone into the sovereignty part. The free will part is over. The day will come for you when it will be too late. 
So you need to make the decision concerning salvation now, right now. And you need to secure that because we do not know. At least people will listen to us on this point now because of the pandemic. You don't know the day or the hour or how suddenly <coughs> your life can just go. You don't know that. The sixth critical point for me about the last days is given to me by Paul about his last days. And Paul makes this profound point. He, 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 he's giving a testimony after all his suffering. He said, the one thing I want in my last days, the one thing I want before I die, or as I die, is at that moment I'm found in fellowship, is the word he uses. May I be at that moment of my passing from this life which was by being decapitated, by chopping the, his head off in the city of Rome. And Paul's wish, I just hope that I'm in fellowship. And what he meant by that was that the priorities of Jesus Christ are my priorities at that moment. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship, same boat. Fellowship. And I hope that I'm in the same boat as Jesus Christ desires at that moment. My wife here is involved in many things around the world. Different prayer groups, counseling groups, all sorts of stuff. And nearly always when I go home or whatever, she's already either talking to someone, ministering to someone, or praying to someone. But her chief responsibility is me, as her husband. So when I come in, I will often say, hey, choo -choo, come, come, come. And she will say, okay. Every time she says, excuse me, sorry, I need to go, something's come up. I'll call you back, I'll get back to you. She shuts down her Zoom, she shuts down her communication, and she turns, who's the priority? That's right. This is Paul's point. She will turn to me and say, what I'll say, I've just had a phone call. I need you and me to pray right now. And my priority immediately becomes hers. That's called fellowship. She's in, she puts herself in my boat. All of you have many passions. That's okay. No problem. Peter loved fishing. <laughs> but he wanted to be in Jesus' boat as he died and it's no small thing when Paul says as I pass from this earth I want this one thing that I be found to be in the same priority pursuing the same goal as is in the heart of the Lord who died for me I have many things in Asia he wanted to do many desires but let me not be found in my dying moments pursuing my own wishes God no no, 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 no. Let me be found in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Great consideration. And seventhly, critically for the end times, watch and pray. Watch and pray. People who don't watch can't pray. <laughs> or they're looking for things to pray about. That's why we have all these prayer point problems, Athanasio. <laughs> if you get people watching... You'll be overwhelmed with prayer points. You'll have, an, you'll have a heavy rain of prayer points. Because once you start watching, you start observing and seeing what's happening in Israel. 
You've got your finger on the pulse and then you know how to pray. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and you can pray. But the church don't watch. And then they want to pray and then they don't know what to pray because they're not watching. Watch Israel. Watch Israel. Watch politics. Remember we said last week that the choice is eventually going to be presented to humanity. God or government. That's what the Antichrist presents. It's God or government. Which are you going to choose? And we don't have too many options there, right? You're going to have to choose God. Keep your eye on politics. Keep your eye on money. Keep your eye on religion. And keep your eye on doctrines because, my word, they're shifting fast. There's a few other points which I won't go into tonight. Uh, don't hoard wealth. Don't build bigger barns in these days. That warning is in the book of James. Don't get into too much debt in these last days. Be careful of that because the Antichrist takes control of the financial systems and you don't want to be heavily invested in a financial structure that he's controlling. No. Be ready, stay awake, don't worry. But above all things, I've got to be evangelistic. And isn't it ironic at this very moment in these last closing times in history that all of a sudden the whole world is available to me. The whole world from your living room. <laughs> the whole world from your living room. You can go anywhere. You, you know, I sat with a person here just before lockdown. I was preaching here and one of the members looked very sad, you know. They called me over. I said, what's wrong? And they looked at me and they said this. Pastor Mike, you know what's wrong with me? These four walls. That's what's wrong with me. For years, I haven't been able to see beyond LFC, the shed, this small group. And today, suddenly my eyes opened. And whether you're looking for a wife or a husband or a ministry or an opening, you're not limited anymore. No limits. The world is open to you if only you can see it. And I pray tonight, God, open your eyes. Do you know the wisest man, Solomon, who ever lived? Do you know one of the reasons he's the wisest man? Because he was the man who invented exportation and importation. He went to the nations. You can read all about it. This, for the people of his time, this was phenomenal. Solomon sent them to Africa to get wood. He sent them over to Europe. He sent them all over the world. Solomon was not limited. He knew he, he, he didn't act, need to live inside those limitations. But some of you, because of your age and because of your religious history, your church history, you've been conformed into this mentality that makes you shrink back. And you should not do that. God is not against you. It's your mind. It's your thinking. The world is your oyster. It's absolutely your oyster. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth just to take the hand of anybody who will stand up and say, here I am, use me. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Just like Bonky. I'm not helping. Just like John Wesley. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I will keep learning. I'll keep learning as I go. Not running away from my education. I'll keep on that. Keep on the discipline. But go. Right, let me conclude with this one thing. <coughs> Many years ago, <coughs> in, um, in, in London, 
I got a phone call from Rick Seward and he asked me to meet him here and he was offering me full-time work and full-time position and all that um, and in our initial conversation with him cover is incredibly important for me very important that's where all my fruit will come from so I loved the cover but I didn't want the full-time thing and it's really as I look back on that meeting it was an incredibly important meeting in the eyes of God there he is sitting in front of me and saying, here's your salary, here's your position, this is what I want you to do, you're going to work in Ireland for this length of time. And it would be very easy for me just to say, yes, thank you very much. But I didn't do that, because it wouldn't have been transparent. I could have hidden many things under the table, but I made a decision just to tell him the whole truth, you know. So I just said, you know what, Rick, let me tell you about what I want in my life and and then you can offer me a job then offer me a job okay I'll just tell you where I want to develop stuff on television I've got a desire in this media side this is going to take time so I I question the full-time thing so you maybe maybe you want to think again about that I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do that I can see what you want me to do do you know he interrupted me and he said Mike you do this this and this for me and you can carry on and do all the stuff you want for yourself. I have no problem. You've still got a full-time position. Will you come? <laughs> I said, yes. Yes, I'll come. That just opened the door for all the stuff that was in my heart. Was almost handed to me on a plate. Why? Because of submission to cover. Submission to godly, biblical cover. And my last piece of advice to you, I'm telling you, go and pursue your dreams. I, I'm still telling you to do that. I'm telling you nothing's holding you back. I'm still saying that. The one last bit of counsel I would give you, you still need proper cover. We all do. So don't just run out in some independent stride. That's not how this works. Find your dreams in God. Pursue them and fulfill them right now. Go for it. There's no time to waste. But keep yourself accountable, being instructable, that people can teach you and correct you, and stay under cover. This is very important because of everything we've said about these days, the great apostasy, false teachers, all the stuff that is coming on the world. So stay under cover, but fulfill all these things as you go um, we've had questions and answers every week <clears throat> but if it's okay with you do you mind if we take a moment <coughs> and pray um, and different people can perhaps pray on different things the first thing I would really really like she led her entire family to Jesus that's really good <laughs> you know many of us have had some success in that but in terms of family salvation would you just pray for everyone that they do that and that same grace that's on you is imparted to all of us in terms of being saved I'll start with that that we understand and we embrace full salvation Mary's will pray <clears throat> for our families um, Edgar, could you, just one moment, just one minute is enough, no problem, a long prayer.
Could you pray for us to have the discernment of false teachers? The discernment to know false teachers when they pop up. Shabani, pray against idleness. That we won't be doing nothing in this time, but we will embrace what God wants us to do. Sandra, that we will be spirit-filled. That we will be, get spirit-filled and then stay spirit-filled. And Michael, for evangelism. That we will go Jerusalem, Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. That we will embrace this commission in these last days. Thank you for being here through these weeks. And as we conclude now, I'm going to kick off and Mary is going to follow me. Father, it is no small thing to be saved. And on this topic, I want the advice of God and the guidance of Scripture rather than any man. And so I hear your words to Nicodemus and I, I, I take heed of the Scriptures in this area. And tonight, together with all my brothers and sisters, I repent. I repent. Lord, forgive me for my sin. My sins in my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds. I repent. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. I believe in your death and resurrection for me. Thank you for that. I believe in you. Believe in your love for me and for mankind. Thank you. And having been baptized in water, Lord, may I continue together with everyone to seek the infilling of your good Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name.